Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, why do we do apologetics? I mean, what's the ultimate reason for it? And by the way, apologetics is the study and presentation of evidence for the Christian faith. Well, it's not to win arguments. That's not why we do it. The reason we do it ultimately is to better know God and to make him known. That's why we're here on earth, to know God and to make him known. But when we say know God, it doesn't just mean intellectually. In fact, if we get evidence that God exists, but we are not believing in him, then we're no better off than the demons who know that God exists. James says the demons know that God exists, but they tremble. No, the reason we do this is to ultimately know God personally, not just intellectually. And I say that because today we're going to talk about one of the primary means, actually the primary means by which we know God and why we should believe in him. And here's why. Have you ever read uh, a section of the Bible? You may have read it a hundred times and you stop and you go, man, I never saw that before. Wow. That's, a, that's an amazing insight. I, I, I didn't even know that insight was there. I kind of breezed by that passage, and now I have a new insight. Well, that's the kind of insight you're going to get if you really want to know God when you read the brand new book, The Resurrected Jesus. The Resurrected Jesus has, is, was written by my friend David Limbaugh, who catapulted himself into fame when he wrote the foreword for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist way back in 2004. But actually, the reason this book is so good is not because of David, it's because of his daughter, Kristen uh-huh. Limbaugh Bloom. Uh, David, no, no, the hand. <laughs> no. This, this is radio, David. They can't see you giving us the thumbs down, all right? Anyway, I've got both David and Kristen here on this uh, broadcast, and you're going to want to be a part of it. Uh, many of you, of course, know David. David is the author of 10 New York Times bestselling books, and now he is the co author of the resurrected Jesus with his daughter, Kristen, who is the eldest of five Limbaugh children. And uh, she actually has been writing quite a bit on Fox News. I don't know if you've seen uh, Kristen uh, Bloom on the Fox News Channel website, but she's there. She also works as the personal assistant to Sean Hannity at Fox News, despite the fact that she lives in Texas with her husband and brand new son, Zeke, which is David's and Lisa's first grandchild, I believe. So great having you both on. Kristen, let's start with you. How did this book come about and what did you do to uh, augment what your dad has done? Because your dad is a best-selling author. So how did you, imp- how, how, did you how did you get involved in writing this and, and improve the product? How did this happen? <laughs> uh, you're so kind to say that, Frank. Um, well, dad approached me about a year and a half ago asking if I would be interested in co-authoring his next Christian book with him in the series that um, that he started with um, with uh, the 
the true Jesus, or I'm sorry, not the true Jesus. Uh, Jesus on trial. Jesus on trial. Sorry. Yeah. And um, right now it's Kristen on trial. You got to have these books. on trial. These books in I'm order. Like, there's so many Jesus. <laughs> Jesus in every single title. I can't keep them straight. Um, uh-huh. uh, no, but I was just absolutely thrilled. And Dad has always encouraged me as a writer since actually I was six years old. He bought me my first notebook and encouraged me to write down my little stories that I would tell my siblings in a notebook. And um, he has been encouraging me since then. And I think that it's really a testament to his character as a dad because, um, you know, he's putting kind of his money where his mouth is here, not just telling me that he believes I'm a good writer, but he really brought me into this process and um, his already existing success. And so we um, started off um, about this time last year and dad really taught me his process for researching the scriptures, for researching the different biblical um, commentators and these theologians that provide so much insight to so many to help understand the scriptures on a deeper level. And he taught me his research process. He taught me his writing process really with um, going through all this information and sifting it and really making it accessible to the lay reader. And then my contributions um, were really insights that, um, in addition to what he had already written, and then um, prayers that we mm. worked on and um, that I, pray, I prayed about the prayers as I read through um, the commentaries and the scriptures themselves and um, asked the Holy Spirit for direction on what he wanted to highlight from these scriptures so that people reading could have um, an interactive experience with uh, the writings and the scriptures themselves. And it's it's been such an amazing process with dad. I've learned so much as a writer and um, it really was a, a labor of love the whole time. Well, David, you've written so many books now. This is your fifth book on uh, Christianity, Jesus on Trial, The Emmaus Code, The True Jesus, and Jesus is Risen. So how is this new book? And the new book, ladies and gentlemen, is called The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. How is it different than the previous books? We first established a consensus that my office is cool and my coat. <laughs> I mean, really, my fashion statement or what? Okay, let, now let's move on to less important things. All right, go. <clears throat> this book, it, it, it's, it's, it's different in that we actually cover different biblical books. Mm-hmm. It, that's the first way it's different. <clears throat> the last book, Jesus is Risen, covered the book of Acts and six of Paul's epistles. This book covers the, the, the remaining seven epistles, uh, the prison epistles that he wrote while uh, in on house arrest in Rome, and the three pastoral epistles that he wrote to his colleagues, Timothy and Titus. <clears throat> um, and we go through chapter and verse and insert commentaries and our own, in, own insights. But what, what makes this distinguishably different is, as she mentioned and you mentioned, we add prayers throughout. Kristen is the primary author of these prayers, <clears throat> and... I edited her, edited her prayers and added ideas back, but I would be uh, lying if I told you that she didn't. She isn't the primary thrust of these prayers. She has a facility for prayer. She's a prayer, prayer warrior, spirit-filled, and I marvel at her, um, her heart for Christ, and mm. she's an inspiration for me and, and to me. More, way more into it than I was at her age. In fact, at her age, I wasn't even a believer, but still, it's remarkable how spirit-filled she is. And uh, so I, I love the way she can come up with prayers so articulate and so meaningful. And not just, you know, we're not supposed to uh, 
be on display when we give money to the poor and brag about it, or when we pray out in public so everybody can hold up Olympic mm -hmm. signs one through 10. No, she's not doing that. I'm doing it as her dad telling you, I, I have trouble sometimes in public praying. I'm too self-conscious. Like, am I being judged here? You know, I'm admitting I'm 70 years old almost, and I still feel odd about that. Kristen just is natural with it, and she's more humble about her own thing. But I, I think it's because she's so connected to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so I, I love that because it's an inspiration to me. I sometimes err on the side of head knowledge, Frank. You and I have talked about that. That's why I like your intro about it's way beyond head knowledge, way mm -hmm. beyond knowing who Christ is. It's having a relationship with him. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, I when I, I had the opportunity to preview the book and wrote an endorsement, I said, this book will not only renew your mind, it has an, a devotional feel that will nourish your soul as well. So, David, you, you are an amazing researcher, uh, especially for a layman, but of course you're an attorney, so you know how to do research. And uh, with Lagos Bible Software, you and I both have that, which is an amazing resource. Oh, amazing. I mean, you can, you can research this and and really get all that head knowledge in there, but then you bring Kristen into it, and it becomes almost like a commentary with a devotional aspect to it, which I find unique and very nourishing. And we're gonna get into the details right after the break. The book is called The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. This is covering more of the prison epistles, so you'll have in here Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, uh, Philemon those kind of books and we're going to dive into the details right after the break you're listening to i don't have enough faith to be an atheist with me frank turek on the american family radio network website crossexamined.org that's crossexamined with a d on the end of it.org we're back in just two minutes so don't go anywhere i'm here with david limbaugh and Kristen limbaugh bloom Ladies and gentlemen, as you're listening to this, I'm leading a group in Israel. And if you want to be a part of that trip from afar, what you need to do is keep an eye on our YouTube channel. And also, if you don't have the Cross-Examined app, download the Cross-Examined app and click on notifications because when we're going to be streaming from Israel, you're going to want to be a part of it and see where we are. We're going to the top sites in Israel, and we will come to you from there, streaming from there. If you want to see it all this week, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube, cha YouTube channel and also uh, download the app and turn notifications on. We will You'll get a notification when we're coming on. So uh, pray for us while we're over there. We're taking a, a fairly large group over there, but I just love going over to Israel. I haven't been there in four years because of the whole COVID thing. So we're going to hit the, the biggest places over there and hopefully bring you some good biblical teaching, along with Eli Shukran. Eli Shukran is the archaeologist who discovered the Pool of Siloam and excavated much of the city of David. He's our guide, so you'll be hearing from him as well. Don't want to miss it. Okay, I'm talking to my friends David Limbaugh and Kristen Limbaugh-Bloom, the brand new book, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. It covers Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus. These are the prison epistles. And let's dive into it a little bit. David, um, there's a big crisis in our culture right now on identity and you write, and you and Christian write in the new book, The Resurrected Jesus, that Christians do not achieve their identity through their own efforts, but they receive it from God. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? 
Yeah, and as you probably remember, I quoted you on this very topic on page 73. Um, I said, Frank's point to me when I talked to you about this was, you said, critically important is the recognition that our identity in Christ will most often bring peace and harmony and forge the healing path to maturity and integrity. By contrast, the assertion of any other identity tends to create dissension and division. That is I an amazing quote. That is an amazing <laughs> quote. Amazing. Brilliant. You, you've got some amazing friends, David. I always build you up. And, and, no, and, and, and it's well deserved. Now, here's the deal. Mm-hmm. I think in our culture, we tend to be narcissistic and we encourage narcissism. Mm-hmm. When this identity politics permeates everything we do, what we're really telling minorities and uh, uh, gender people who are obsessed with their gender, uh, that they are their own person, they're not accountable to God, that God is secondary, that what they want to do is most important in their own lives, and they can choose their identity, and, and God has nothing to do with it. Well, the truth is, God made us man and woman, man and woman, he created us. These people who take the, the opposite tact are disturbing God's created order for the universe. But I believe that our identity is, as Christians is in Christ because verse 13 of Psalm 139 reads, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I knew that well. Before God ever made us, he loved us and uh, he called us. And so we are the people he chose to be with him for eternity. Now, obviously, we have to receive him. Mm-hmm. But but um, it's just so remarkable when you think that we, and, and you and I talked about this, we get our identity in Christ, and this is, this is so healthy. It's, it's kind of paradoxical. We don't, uh, the, the fact that we get our identity in Christ doesn't mean we're like an, East, an Eastern religion where our, our identity uh, becomes part of the absolute, merges in the absolute, and we lose our identity. No, Christianity is specifically individualistic. We have an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. We are individually saved or we're not. We retain our specific identity, I mean our individuality. The point is, though, our importance is grounded in our uh, the fact that God loves us. And, and it's so great that when he talks about, in, that Paul talks about in Romans, that who can, who can separate us from the love of mm-hmm. Christ? Nothing can separate us from love. That is powerful and moving, Frank. We don't have that. We can't do that by our own bootstraps. We can only do that in Jesus Christ. In fact, Kristen, this is, seems to be a much bigger problem with the younger generation from which you come. Okay. How have you seen this uh, among maybe some of your friends and your extended friends, this identity crisis? Uh, how do they deal with it if they don't have Jesus? How do, what, do they want, what do they wind up doing and how do they wind up? Um, well, their list is very long, unfortunately. Um, one phrase that um, swirls around that I can think of immediately is that um, women oftentimes say the phrase, you are enough, you are enough, mm-hmm. girlfriend. And and mm-hmm. phrases like that are so um, subtly deceptive because, of course, we are not enough. We need Jesus to strengthen and empower us in this lifetime. And um, people that are searching for for identity, for a purpose, often turn to um, idolizing their career goals. Um, that's why you see so many people my age getting overworked and um, going on two-year-long retreats after they've worked their tails off all the way 
through high school to get into the best college, to get into the best job, and then they get to that job and it's not what, what fulfills them. And th- that's on the better scale. The other thing is people turn to drugs and alcohol and sex and all sorts of things to try to fill this longing in our hearts that we were that is built in all of our hearts, which is the God-shaped hole that C.S. Lewis and so many other theologians talk about. And um, and so what I love about Paul's writings that addresses this is that we are citizens of heaven. Mm-hmm. And um, it, even when I was a when I had accepted Christ and had a purpose, it, it's kind of hard to, um, sometimes you put God in one category and then and then yourself in others. So for example, when I first started out in my career, oftentimes I would get into stressful situations and there was kind of a disconnect. I wasn't realizing, oh, I can I can call upon God and he can help me through this situation. And actually it's not just to get me through the situation to help me. It's you have to ask yourself, why am I in this role? You know, God has each and every one of us as Christians and the places we are for a reason. He can use the places where we are, the people that we're surrounded by to touch lives, to um, to let his, shine, his glory shine further. And so I think when we envision ourselves as these citizens of heaven, as um, kind of like undercover warriors for Christ in the places that we find ourselves, it really makes our lives that much more beautiful and exciting and um a journey with with God. Yeah, I was when I was reading the chapter on Philippians, one of the prayers you wrote here really struck me. Hey, I didn't know I didn't write it. Hey. You, already, you already told us you didn't oh, write it. You knew it. Gave our secret away. No, Dad really did. Dad <laughs> absolutely helped on the prayers as well, though. He no, here, he's, he's giving me a lot of credit. Here's here's a prayer um, in Philippians, and we're we're talking to David Limbaugh and his daughter, also co-author of the brand new book, Resurrected Jesus, Kristen Limbaugh-Bloom. Here's a prayer that you write as you're going through Philippians. Lord Jesus, you exemplify every fruit of the Spirit, so in order for us to receive these spiritual gifts, we must first grow in our intimacy with you. We want our lives to reflect your love-bearing all right, we want to, we want our lives to reflect your love, bearing in mind, as the message interpretation puts it, and this is a quote from Philippians 1.10, you need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. <laughs> now, that paraphrase of Philippians 1.10, which was put together probably by Eugene Peterson, a great uh, yeah. Bible mm-hmm. um, interpreter and scholar. If, if our culture could understand that love is not sentimental gush, mm-hmm. it would revolutionize. If the church would just understand that, it would revolutionize really uh, our, our, our lives here and our ultimate outcomes, because love does not mean approval. Love does not mean I'm just going to approve of everything you want to do. Love must be sincere and intelligent, and you've got to use your head to test your feelings. And that's what this prayer actually says here. And I never saw that in Philippians chapter one. That's what I was saying earlier. You know, I've read the Bible quite a bit, and, and yet I, I breeze right by Philippians 1.10, and yet here in a prayer that is in this new book, the resurrected Jesus, you get this aha moment, and there's a lot of aha moments. Now, you guys also talk about spiritual warfare in the unseen realm. We've had our friend Michael Heiser on this show several times talking about the unseen realm. People in our culture, as you know, David, 
They think, oh, yeah, there's no such thing as the unseen realm. There's no demons. That's superstitious ghosts and goblin talk. You got to be out of your mind to believe in that. But Paul is not out of his mind. You talk about spiritual warfare a lot in the resurrected Jesus. So what would you say to a skeptic on this issue? Well, I previously would have been, been the last to believe in some kind of, uh, in, the, in the spiritual realm. By the way, Michael Heiser is a mentor of mine, too, and a friend. Um, and he was instrumental in the Logos. Yes, Bible he was. Yeah. Uh, area. But yeah, he's fascinating how he unpacks all that. But Paul talks about it very specifically. In fact, the way he talks, the spiritual realm is really where it's happening. Mm-hmm. And more than the, the, the physical, that it's happening at an invisible level, but it's every bit as real, if not more real, than what we're witnessing and what we can see with our own eyes. And I find it, Frank, uh, affirming uh, when you look at what's going on in this country today, where we're literally glorifying evil, mm. when, when a great part of our population says that good is bad, right is wrong, that murdering babies is a virtue, that mutilating young children uh, for the sake of gender transformation or transition is a wonderful thing, and demonizing all the people who disagree with that and who oppose it for the sake of biblical principles and all that is good and right, demonizing them as the wrong people and the evil people. It is astonishing. It is astonishing that we're witnessing it before our eyes. How else to explain it but demonic Mm. work in Mm. practice? Because there's no logic behind it. You can't reason with people who have taken this position. You can't reason with radical environmentalists who have adopted this to fill that God void in their heart. Kristen was talking about that that is their idolatry. You can't talk. They will exclude all kinds of real science because they have to politicize science toward a certain end. And I think it's all because of demonic influences at work and they're in the ascendance today. But but we have to recognize what we're dealing with uh, because uh, our the future of this country and the future of of people's eternal souls is at stake. Yes, because if we don't have the freedom to preach and live the gospel, then we are not going to be able to reach them with the gospel. And yet many people want to shut us down. In fact, I just got word just a few minutes ago, our, our TikTok account has been deleted. We oh just got on TikTok recently and it's been deleted and no explanation other than you violated our policy. Uh, we're trying to figure out what it is, ladies and gentlemen. So while uh, the left is canceling people trying to put out the truth, we're going to have to find alternate ways to get the truth out there. You can get this book, The Resurrected Jesus, to, to do that. But I also want to point out we have the cross-examined uh, community Just for this reason, it's behind a nominal paywall, so we can't be canceled, you can't be canceled. If you want to be a part of that community where we can talk about anything we want, then go to crossexamine.org and click on cross-examine community. More on it in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, on the American Family Radio Network. My guests today are David Limbaugh and his daughter, Kristen Limbaugh-Bloom, co-authors of the brand new book, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. By the way, I know many of you are astute Bible scholars, you already know this, but the, the epistles are word for word the most applicable part of the Bible 
to present day living because they trade on everything that's happened up to that point. Jesus has already come, taught, and resurrected from the dead and then ascended to heaven. Now, this is basically all the epistles are how you should live. That's what most of they're about. Most of them are about after Paul and other writers go through a lot of theology along the way. So that's why books like uh, The Resurrected Jesus are so valuable because they trade on everything that's happened already and they delve into the issues of Christian living. So, as I say, this book covers Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. I want to mention one more thing before I go to Kristen and talk more about spiritual warfare, and that is, well, two more things. Number one, pray for our friend Michael Heiser. We've just brought his name up. He is going through cancer treatment, as you know, and the new treatment uh, that he's going through. We're praying will eradicate most of his cancer so he can then go for surgery. You can look up Michael Heiser on the internet, Michael Heiser, and he has updates on Facebook about this. So I'm not revealing anything he hasn't told you himself, but do pray for him. You can also pray for other sick leaders like Tim Keller, who has pancreatic cancer as well. Um, these people need our prayer, so please do that. I want to mention one other thing. I'm going to be at the great state of Missouri, the show me state where both Kristen and David are from. I'll be at a couple of universities out there in mid-October, October 11th, William Woods University, October 12th, Westminster College. All the details are on the website, crossexamine.org. Check it there. Kristen, before the break, we were talking a little bit about spiritual warfare and uh, talk about how Paul says that we're not really fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against the principalities of darkness. Unpack that for us a little bit. Right. So Paul mentions this at the beginning of Ephesians 6. He wants us to understand that our enemies on the earth are not with our fellow man. It, it's against the spiritual forces of darkness being ruled by the enemy and all of his underlings. And I'd just like to point out that um, a huge part of Jesus's ministry was casting demons out of people. And um, he, this is mentioned all through the gospel, throughout the gospels. And he told his disciples when he was ascending back to heaven in the great commission that he was giving them his authority to continue to do this work, to heal the sick, to cast demons out of people. And so we need to understand that Jesus was talking about th these real spiritual forces. I also would like to point out that um, in the Old Testament, there are several instances where we can see um, the spiritual the spiritual realm. For example, the prophet Elisha. Um, there's an instance in, I believe, First Kings where he um, is is um, helping the whoever the king was of Israel so at the time. Kings. I can't remember. Yeah, right. But um, <laughs> there was an evil king, uh -huh. and um, he's coming at them with all these um, forces, and um, the king of Israel is freaking out. And and Elisha says, Lord, increase our faith. Will you, will you show us what's going on here? Because he, he had a word from the Lord that greater were fighting for them than were against them. And so I love mm -hmm. the imagery. Um, uh, God, the Father, opens up their eyes and they can literally see the droves and droves of angels, um, the angelic armies that are surrounding them in the sky and they're, they're on fire, they're with horses and chariots. And so um, I, I think that as Christians, understanding that there are that angels are real, that demons are real, that there are so many other forces at work behind what we're experiencing in the natural. Um, 
increases our faith, also helps us to be used by God in a more meaningful way because we will then realize that the access to his power that we have is tangible. It's mm. not just ethereal. David, May I add one thing to Yeah, that? go ahead. I was going to ask you about the full armor of God. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's yes. what I was going to say. We we're talking about the break. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that the practical application of this beyond what Kristen says is we can do something about this. We can access our yes. spiritual uh, power, not power, but our, our ability to, to fight on the spiritual level for God's uh, honor and glory by putting on the whole armor of God. And, and he talks about it in military imagery, Paul mm-hmm. does. Yes. And, you know, the, the, the shield, the breastplate of righteousness and all. And what that really, I think, boils down to in layman's terms is exercise the spiritual disciplines, go to scripture, mm-hmm. be, uh, immerse yourself in the knowledge of God and the word of God so you'll gain knowledge of God so, we, so you'll have a better relationship with God. Uh, go to God in prayer and, and exercise the other spiritual disciplines, uh, memorizing verses, journaling, whatever. But that's what we're supposed to do because we have direct access to God through prayer and scripture. And, and, I, and I think that that couldn't be more powerful. And the enemy cannot stand up to truth. Every mm. time mm. Uh, Jesus will win in these battles, but we yeah. have to access it in the Holy Spirit. You know, people who are really attuned to spiritual warfare will tell you this. They will tell you that the closer you stay to Jesus through the word and prayer, uh, the safer you will be in your spiritual life. And, and look at what Jesus mm-hmm. did when he was tempted the three times. He yes. invoked scripture every, every each right. of the three times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I, I got to go back to your point earlier, David. If you just take a look at our world, and you see all the evil going on from sex trafficking to uh, murdering babies to mutilating children, and people are saying that this that these things are good things. Yeah. How do you just explain that from a human perspective? I don't think you can explain that from a human yeah. perspective. There yeah, is a yeah. demonic element going on here. And as I say, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, as Paul says. We're fighting against these forces. And so we have to use spiritual weapons to do it. And that means a lot of prayer. That means staying close in the word. That means being in fellowship with other believers. That means acting when you can. It doesn't mean that everything is uh, is going to result because of just human effort. There's there's something else going on, and we've got to tap into that. You're going to add something to that, David? Yeah, another example of the timelessness of Scripture and how mm-hmm. th- th- these letters apply to what we're going on today. Yeah. Did you remember when you used to read uh, the, the letters and read about the corruption of ancient Rome and Corinth and yeah. how they had all their panoply of gods and how evil they were? And, we used to think, oh, how could they be so crazy and superstitious and have all these false gods? And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Maybe worse than they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, do Sodom and Gomorrah have anything on us? I'm not kidding you I, in terms of evil. I, I am appalled, shocked, just amazed, astonished by what's going on in this world today, the level of evil. Yeah, and actually all of us have done evil. That's why we need a Savior yeah. And that's another reason you ought to read the resurrected Jesus, because uh, as you, as David and Kristen point out in this new book, The Resurrected Jesus, Paul talks so much in these letters about uh, the fact that we're saved by grace, not by works, but works are still important. Let's start with you, Kristen. Why do you think he emphasizes that so much? Why are, I mean, 
what it, what do works do for us if we're just saved by grace? Shouldn't we just sit back and say, oh, I'm saved by grace. I don't need to do anything. Right. Well, obviously the works aspect is the fruit of mm -hmm. our faith. And so if we just accept Jesus and then sit back, I mean, how selfish is that? And, and then it kind of just proves that you don't have a true revelation of what Jesus has done for us. Because when you have a revelation of how guilty we all are and the fact that Jesus came down, humbled himself um, to become fully human and put himself on the cross after living the perfect human life, died mm. for us. And when you realize that on a personal level, I mean, that's got to penetrate your heart. That's got to just totally wreck you. And so what other choice do you have than to make your life um, a sacrifice to him to try to, um, obviously we know we can never <laughs> earn the gift that he has given us, but it it's really, um, it's a, an act of worship when we do these works uh, that Paul is speaking about, that we are really saying, Lord, I give my life to you. You are Lord over my life. You are king of the universe. And um, because I have been given this access, because I am now considered a citizen of heaven out of, out of nothing of our own volition, we try to do everything we can to, um, to repay, even though we know we can't. It really mm -hmm. is just has to do with the re revelation of what we've been given. Anything to add to that, David? Yeah, and it's, a, and it's also a matter of obedience. Um, mm -hmm. yes. And we... Contrary to what people believe, we we have we hold ourselves to a higher standard. We're not when Paul said, "Because I'm saved, am I then free to go on sinning?" And he says, "Of course not. Heavens, no." Whatever he said. Uh, and the, the the point is, no. We once we are saved, we're declared legally righteous for salvation purposes. But then we just begin our sanct or work of sanctification, where through the whole through the spiritual disciplines, we become more Christ-like. We be, we become holier, more, more uh, sanctified. And it, it is a matter of, of effort. That is to say, there's no effort in salvation. In fact, it's an it's a insult to the finished work of Christ on the cross if you say there's any work involved in salvation. Uh, it's not work plus, I mean, faith plus works, faith plus uh, obeying rituals and being circumcised or anything else. It's faith alone. But once you're saved, you then have a duty to struggle toward your, not toward your salvation, but struggle through and, and try to become through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's still through the power of the Holy Spirit, but you have a duty to go to God mm -hmm. in prayer, to mm -hmm. to avail yourself of the Holy Spirit and through prayer and, and the Word and the rest. Uh, it takes some effort to do it, and there's not, no inconsistency about that, but we have a duty to do it. That's what this book will help you do, too, because as you go through these letters in The Resurrected Jesus, as we mentioned earlier, these are these devotional prayers which apply it to present-day uh, activities that we all go through on here in America and in the West. So this is a, a valuable, very valuable resource. Again, the book's called The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament, <clears throat> written by my friends David Limbaugh and Kristen Limbaugh Bloom. And uh, when we come back from the break... Uh, we're going to dive a little bit further into this, and I, I have a couple of personal questions I want to ask these guys, so don't go anywhere. I do want to mention, however, that uh, the CEO community is up and running, as I mentioned earlier, and you should be a part of it. I'm on there quite a bit interacting with people. I don't go on social media and interact with people because there's too many trolls. There's too much time wasted, but I do interact with people on the cross-examined community, so if you want to be a part of that 
go to crossexamine.org, click on Crossexamine Community. You will see it there. You can join our team and interact and ask any questions you want. And we can disciple one another, learn from one another. So check it all out there. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with my friends David Limbaugh and Kristen Limbaugh-Bloom. Again, the book, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. Don't go anywhere. We're back in just two minutes. By the way, did I mention this is uh, doing very well on Amazon for good reason? Go there and put up a good review if you would. The Resurrected Jesus. The Church in the New Testament, brand new book from my friends David Limbaugh, Kristen Limbaugh-Bloom. We're talking about that. and uh, David is the brother of Rush Limbaugh. Most of you probably know that. And, of course, Kristen is his niece. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about Rush at the end of this program, the end of this segment, so don't go anywhere. But I, I still want to talk a little bit more about this book. And, uh, David, what were the greatest threats to the church in Paul's day? Well, you know, there's always threats to the church from the outside and the inside, and that transcends time. We're seeing the same thing happen today. And let me summarize this. I've thought a lot about this. In, in the greatest threats, I think, come from within, and they're so similar mm. to the ones we're experiencing today. They're heresies. They're false teachers. Paul specifically addresses these false teachers, and he gives them no quarter. You know, people talk about, you know, let's all be salt and light and everything. And I agree, you shouldn't have petty quarrels that there are certain things worth fighting over and being stern and adamant about, and that is the truth of the gospel. Because if you dilute the truth of the gospel, you, you rob the gospel of its saving power. So you, Paul, in, after he planted these churches, they were already falling away. And so he wrote these corrective letters, and saying, reprimanding these false teachers and saying, here's the correct doctrine. Do not say salvation is by faith plus circumcision, or faith plus obeying the Jewish rituals as to dietary laws and that type of thing. No, those were the Judaizers who were wanting to gain their own power by staying in the church and elevating themselves through reasons of pride or whatever. Paul said, no, if you want to be circumcised, fine, but don't claim you need to be. That Salvation is by faith alone. So he's adamant about that. The other kinds of uh, heresies that were going on, you, you could say a lot of them fall within the category of either rejecting Jesus's full divinity or rejecting his full humanity. We know as Christians, Christian doctrine is that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, not 50% each. And so, for example, the Gnostics are the precursor to the Gnostics, which they really rose up in the second century, but they're the same type of people. They were saying that material matter, material uh, existence is evil. Physical is evil. Therefore, Jesus couldn't have been physical. He couldn't have become a human. That was all an illusion. So he really didn't die on the cross. That was all pretend. Now, that is such an offense to what Jesus actually did, and it's such a misunderstanding of the gospel. God created mankind knowing we would sin, knowing that he would have to send his son in human form to live among us and suffer all the indignities of human existence and then be tor tortured, persecuted, and ultimately die and then resurrected so that we could be resurrected and live with him in eternal glory. <clears throat> but that couldn't be possible if he wasn't fully human. He couldn't have died. He couldn't have gone through that excruciating pain. And the cool thing about this is that Jesus will always be fully human. In the Old Testament, you can't look on God and live. 
He's too magisterial and it's invisible anyway. I think it's so cool that God is not really invisible to us now that Jesus is mm. uh, has has it, Jesus is incarnation because he's human and he'll always be human and we'll always be able to access him. And because he's gone through everything we went through and more, he understands what problems we have. And so we can always lean on him and relate to him. So we have to reject these heresies that, that reject his humanity. Also, these people who reject his divinity, like Jehovah's Witnesses, God bless them, they're all good people. But but you cannot you cannot adhere to Christian doctrine and claim he wasn't God. It's essential. Otherwise, our sins couldn't be canceled out. The weight of one person dying, even God's representatives, wouldn't wipe out all mm. humanity's past, present, and future sins. But because he was God, that totally destroys the entire equation. And anyone who trusts in him can be saved. Kristen, Paul says, watch your life and doctrine closely. What do you see as the biggest threats to the church in our day? I see, honestly, um, similarly to what the first century church was experiencing back then, um, syncretism being a mm. huge problem in today with the new age, for example. Right. Um, there's a, I hear a lot of my own friends getting ideas mixed up, like with manifesting your dreams and, and thinking that Jesus wants you to manifest things into your life and that... Um, and that like meditate, not understanding that prayer and meditating on the word is not the same as literally meditating, trying to empty your mm -hmm. mind. I was just having a conversation with a friend a few days ago saying how meditation is so hard because she can't empty her mind. I said, well, of <laughs> course you're not meant to empty your mind. I, I said, I actually think it's, you know, they want you to do that so that demons can come into mm -hmm. to, exactly to your right. mind. And um, so <laughs> I see that as a huge threat because um, I think I said this earlier, it's so subtly deceptive. You, when you mix it and you make it look like it's something from Jesus, when you, and, you know, everyone wants, wants to feel good. Everyone wants to achieve these things and have their dreams come true. And by the way, Jesus always wants the more fullness for our lives than we can ever imagine. John 10, 10, he gives us life and life abundantly. But to mix these things up and to muddle them is so, so dangerous. And I think can really, it's, you know, that's why he says that the path is so narrow because it's mm. so easy to be deceived this day and age. And as you know, ladies and gentlemen, one of the biggest problems with deception, in fact, the biggest problem with deception is when you're deceived, you don't know you're being deceived. Yeah, That's course, the whole right. point. You exactly. know? Right. So exactly this stuff right. sounds so good, but it's really <laughs> not. Now, right. Kristen, you also maintain, in addition to writing at Fox News, and David has columns at Fox News as well, but uh, you have a website that can help younger people out. What's it called? It's called haploose.com, and I started it really just as a little hobby now, and it's grown into a Bible study community. And um, so it's it's nothing huge, but I, I think it's provided um, a sense of community for a lot of women of all ages um, that have reached out. And so um, God's been gracious to allow me to be um, a leader to some extent. Spell that, that for us. What What's the website? H-A-P-L-O-U-S. It's a Greek word, actually from the book of Matthew, spoken by Jesus when he was oh, talking right. about how when our eyes are clear, the whole body will be clear. So that was the word he used. Haplos.com. I thought you wanted to spell leader, and I thought, don't you know? You're a born leader. You don't know how to spell that. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> hey, David, one other thing, and just give me a one-minute answer on this because okay. I want to talk a little bit about Rush. Um, 
a lot of people are saying unity is our goal now. We just have to be unified. How do of course, you the only people who say that, the only people who say that are yeah. wanting, wanting to shut us up. You'll yeah. never see the left reaching across the aisle or even compromising. You see Biden, sorry to politicize this, demonizing the entire uh, Trump army. All supporters of Trump are, are uh, evil, according to him now. Mm -hmm. But regardless, Jesus did not come to unite us. He came to divide. I'll divide brother from sister, mother mm -hmm. and father. Why? Because he is truth and he stands for truth. And the, the Satan is the ruler of this world, and Satan is after truth. Of course, we're going to have to be at war with those kind of people. We wish they would all agree, but there's so many that don't. And so you can't compromise your principles, your beliefs, your adherence to the gospel uh, by your false goal of uniting. Of course, Jesus wants us to be united in the church through the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and among each other because that, that love is synergistic and it multiplies. But as far as, uh, and we love the people on the other side politically and theologically, we love them personally, we want to bring them in, but we don't want to dilute the gospel and try to please man instead of God by, mm. by compromising our beliefs just to, just to appease them and make them like us more. That's doing them a disservice eternally mm. in my view. Yeah, in fact, Jesus went after the Pharisees, who were the politicians of his day, and told them they were majoring in the minors. You're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. Jesus was not all one big tent. Everybody's in. It doesn't matter what you believe. He was the guy standing up for the truth, and they killed him for it, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, yeah. which may happen to us. We just got a few minutes to go, David. I, I know that a lot of people are curious because everybody, a lot, there's so many people in our audience who loved Rush. I loved Rush. I mean, he said more amazing things in 10 minutes than most hosts stay in their entire career. Um, toward the end of his life, what happened with him spiritually? Can you tell us? Can you let us in a little bit? Yeah, well, he, he was a, a believer for quite a while, but he wasn't engaged with it. He didn't feel like he was conversant with it enough, and so he was awkward talking about it on the air. But uh, regardless of how engaged he was, what what, what is great is that God— uh, uses evil to bring good, and cancer is an evil. And mm -hmm. he brought about a closer relationship uh, between Rush and himself through that ordeal. And I think anybody that watched how Rush handled the, that disease will agree that, the, that he handled it with dignity, that his mm -hmm. faith increased daily, that he talked about his great gratitude to Christ every day. He thanked God that he was alive. He began and ended his show with uh, a tribute of honor to Christ. And I, it was uplifting to me. It was gratifying to me. We talked about, we did devotionals, you know, th through those last years, sometimes not enough, but we did. And we talked about the Bible. Uh, and I just, I just, I have no doubt where he is today. Mm. Kristen, any, any thoughts on that? Um, I just second everything dad said. And in the end, I would often send Uncle Rush Bible verses and um, as encouragement. And one day I sent him Romans 8, 28, and we know mm. that God uses all things for good. And he he wrote me back and said, I absolutely believe that verse to a T. It's not that everything that happens to us is good. Mm. It's that we know that God, our Father, is good. And so whatever happens to us, we can rest on that knowledge. And that was so beautiful. And um, really, his life was an inspiration in so many ways. And I know he's he's with Jesus now. Absolutely. And David, I think much of what you have done in the past few years regarding your books probably had something to do with 
with Rush coming around. And of course, your witness and the whole family's witness. All you guys are Christians in the Limbaugh family. Such a great family. Well, it's been great, great having you guys on. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is called The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament by David Limbaugh, Kristen Limbaugh Bloom. You got to check it out. Kristen, give us that website one more time. Oh, www.haplooseofficial.com. She Thank just had you. a minor role. Let's not overplay this. Let's not overplay. <laughs> the prayers, nah. She didn't do much of that. Such a supportive father. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for being on. And David, thanks for all your support over the years. I mean, full Thank disclosure, you. David's Thank on you, the cross examined board, and uh, he is a warrior. And thank you, Kristen. Thanks for your your work too out on Fox News and all you're doing out there. God bless everybody. Hey folks, don't forget Israel this week. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll see some of our streams. Lord willing, see you here in a couple weeks. God bless.